Hey, before we begin, when you're running a business, HR issues can really bother you. Whether it's wrongful termination lawsuits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, whatever it is, HR issues are serious business. And HR manager salaries aren't cheap, an average of $70,000 a year. Bambi, that's B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small business. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft your own HR policy, maintain your compliance, all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From onboarding to terminations, they customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day, all for just $99 a month. Month-to-month, no hidden fees, and you can cancel anytime. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time on HR compliance. Let Bambi help and get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash hoop right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash hoop, spelled BAM to the B-E-E dot com slash hoop. And also a quick reminder that we've got one of the biggest sites on the sports calendar still happening next week, the NFL Draft. Whew, thank goodness for that. If you want to get some insight on the draft top players and who your teams may be considering with their picks, then I suggest you take a listen to any one of ESPN's great football podcasts. We've got the Adam Schefter podcast, the Bill Barnwell show, and even Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay themselves have a podcast. It's called First Draft. And if you're interested in any of those, download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA. We're going to do something that we started doing last year, um, which uh, is a redraft. Uh, we look back at the at the draft class, the season end, and normally this would be the end of the, about the regular season would be this week coming up, but you know how it went. Um, and so we've got on one of the best draft guys in the business, and Mike Schmitz joining us from L.A., um, hi, Mike. How are you? Michael? Mike? What, what, <laughs> do, do people call you Michael or Mike? Does your mom they, call you Michael? My mom sticks with Michael. I think that's about yeah. it, though. So, yeah, Mike, happy to be here, man. In our bit, in our group, we just most mostly call you Schmitz. Do a lot of that's people okay. just call you Schmitz? Schmitz is good. I'll take it. Um, we also call the next guy by his last name a lot, either uh, KP or, or just Pelton. The um, machine. The machine. A lot of nicknames. Yeah. Who uh, who knows everything about everything? College players, pro players, analytics. He's a five tool prospect, or not even a prospect. He's legitimate. Um, so, guys, what we're going to do here is we're going to go through the draft uh, as it was, and we're, we're going to draft the way we know now. Actually, and I'm not going to draft because I'm not a personnel. I'm not smart in personnel like these guys are, um, and. Last year's draft was when we did the redraft. It was kind of spicy because obviously Luca got taken third, and a whole bunch of other things happened. And so I don't know if we'll see as much of that, but I feel like we'll we're just going to do the lottery. Um, and uh, but I feel like there'll be some significant movers. Uh, just as my guess, I don't know what these guys are going to say. So uh, Andrew Hahn had some convoluted way that we established the draft order, but. Um, uh, Long story short, it's Mike Schmitz who's going to um, going to pick first. And if I'm not mistaken, Mike, um, the New Orleans Pelicans had the first pick in the draft, so they are on our proverbial clock redrafting. This this will set the tone for the whole podcast. What he says right here. 
Yeah, I'm going to select the New Orleans Pelicans are going to select Zion Williamson. Uh, still seems kind of like a no brainer to me. I know Ja, you know, had a had a great rookie season or what we've seen so far, but you know, Zion, uh, to me, a transcendent star and, and uh, one of the most unique prospects I've ever seen. So he, for me, he is the number one pick. I mean, the one well, argument you can maybe make is durability with Zion. Yeah. The concerns about that after the, you know, knee surgery, the injury he had at Duke, and everything. But I, we did our top twenty-five under twenty-five a little over a month ago, and Zion was, you know, way, right up there at the top with anyone under twenty-five. Yeah, yeah um, I mean, he's got to be one of the best long-term. You know, he's the future of the NBA potentially if, if he can stay healthy. Mike, I remember talking to you at the big, like in the preseason, like 2018 preseason at a game in LA. And, um, you know, of course, Zion wasn't like he was an unknown at the time, but he hadn't yet played a single game for Duke. And he was a presumptive top pick, but you were, you were lock, stock and barrel on the Zion train, you know, and, and I actually, took it as something of, of the something was important an important endorsement that early in the game um am i assuming that you've not seen anything that has taken you off that despite the fact that over the last 18 months we've seen a couple of knee injuries yeah, you know I, I thought he would be a little bit better defensively early on and, and just in terms of uh effort really you know and i don't know how much of that is uh, you know, the conditioning aspect or, or trying to preserve his body and, and you know, new running mechanics and, and all that. Uh, just because I remember him, you know, being a little bit more impactful on that end of the floor at Duke. And I thought, you know, there's a guy who's going to be able to switch everything and be kind of this, you know, multi-positional guy. And I haven't really seen that yet. But I mean, what's so impressive about what he's done is like he's been incredibly productive while not even being close to what he can be. So, uh, yeah, I will, I will stick by that. And, uh, yeah, he's, I mean, he's been pretty incredible. Okay. So number two pick Memphis Grizzlies Pelton. Oh, by the way, Andrew Hunter, we doing this like a, sna- a, a two man snake draft or are we just alternating. Okay. Uh, sorry, Pelton, you get the worst picks all the way through. Um, <laughs> <laughs> number two, Memphis Grizzlies, uh, let me take a guess here, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna it's gonna still be John Moran for the Memphis Grizzlies here at number two. Uh, if anything, he's exceeded expectations in terms of his ability to come in and be productive right away as a rookie point guard. You know, not a one and done guy. He did have the one additional year of experience at the mid major level, but still for his age, for the type of player that he is, those guys usually don't really become impact players until their mid-20s and tend to peak around, you know, age, keep developing until around age 28, 29 or so uh, because of the fact that they're adding skill to go along with the great athleticism they have as well as experience in reading the game. And Ja has already shown a lot of that skill and ability to read the plays. And we've seen him evolve even over the course of this season, like, Early on, he was kind of flying around recklessly out there. Uh, he, he, uh, you know, seemed to be risking injuries in his own right. He's taken some of that, those really aggressive dunk attempts out of his game, but hasn't lost anything because of his vision in the open court. <laughs> he, he did. He came in and announced his presence with authority, <laughs> trying to stunk on all these guys. And most of them he missed, but my gosh, was it an impressive display to let everybody know how he was going to play, man. Wow. 
It was impressive just to try. But then also his uh, his three-point shooting has been, I think, the biggest revelation to me. That's you know an area where I thought he figured to struggle early in his NBA career. And he may regress to the mean a little bit. But that's, I think, a big factor in why he's been so productive right away. So yeah, one, you're of just, things, you, one of the things I like really, about him a sorry, lot is the fact that he, he shoot you know, this rookie class, they've improved a little bit, but just none of them could shoot at any percentage. And I was a, I mean, PJ Washington um, had done pretty well. I mean, Zion, every shot's a dunk, but um, he's shooting 49% as a rookie at the point guard position. Uh, I'm sorry, that just hasn't happened very often in his, in his career. I'm sorry to step on you, Mike. Go ahead. No, just you, it, like kind of like Kevin said, you don't see guys, point guards with that type of explosiveness and that type of skill. You know, you usually have a Russell Westbrook or John Wall and those type of freight train athlete type speed demons or a cerebral Trey Young, Steve Nash, those types. And he's kind of, you know, a mixture of both. And I think uh, he's obviously an incredible success story. Um, so, you know, kudos to John. All right. With the uh, third pick were and are, I guess, the New York Knicks. Of course, they drafted R.J. Barrett in this spot. We're very excited about it. Um, a lot of people felt this was a three-player draft, and R.J. Barrett has had a decent rookie year, um, a challenging rookie year. His first head coach was fired just a couple of months into the season. Um, he was given point guard responsibilities when, you know, it's probably not his uh, most natural position. But... Um, Mr. Schmitz, um, you are on the clock now with the with the Knicks. I'm still going to draft R.J. Barrett. Uh, you know, he, there's still a lot of upside there with him. I think uh, 19 years old, six seven. You know, plays that that wing guard position of need where he can you know play off the ball, but can also play on the ball a little bit. And you know, it, it was not as you alluded to. It was not a great situation for him. You know, this year, uh, you know, had to shoulder uh, you know big responsibility in terms of having to create a lot of offense and just didn't have much room to operate. You know, he's a guy who kind of needs shooting around him. He likes to get downhill to the rim and, you know, the Knicks were not clearly, you know, one of the, one of the worst shooting teams in the NBA. So I, I still believe in RJ Barrett and I, I just think it's a tough, tough prototype to find. And I think he's going to, you know, continue to improve across the board. I think Mike's assessment is very fair. I would say the concern for me is, and look, he was probably not in an ideal situation for his skill set last year at Duke either, which shared mm-hmm. a lack of shooting, and the Knicks didn't really seem to uh, learn any lesson from that. And <laughs> perhaps as a result, they have new management in place now. Uh, I still haven't seen him, you know, aside from maybe, you know, and I didn't see a lot of this, representing Canada at the international level, at the youth level. I haven't seen him be the guy that we think he can be at any point because he wasn't that at Duke. He was a you know kind of flawed player at Duke. He's been a flawed player in the NBA. And at some point, even though these situations are legitimately bad, you'd like to see him rise above them. Yeah, I think that's fair. Listen, I, I kind of saw it as Zion Williamson is the clear number one. And then I saw a gap between Ja and RJ. And, um, you know, I wasn't so sure that. Uh, he was like absolutely in that John Morant tier, but um, you're looking down the line and, and you know, it's, there, there's not a ton of star power there. So, you know, this is a kid who had 38 points against USA in, in the under 19s and one at Montverde. And, uh, so I, I do still think um, there, there's a lot of promise there, but he absolutely has some areas he really needs to improve. Yeah, one of these guys, uh, you know, his assist-to-turnover ratio was 1-to-1. One one. Not great for a guy handling the ball a lot, although he's a rookie. 
only shot 40% from the field, but again, tough, you know, he just, he found difficult creating space. I mean, one of the things that was an issue was that all of the Knicks power forwards that they signed, um, most of them were not good shooters. I guess Marcus Morris a little bit, but, uh, they had spacing issues. And, um, you know, one of the things that they do have going is, you know, uh, I think a terrific prospect in Mitchell Robinson. And, but it's hard to really unleash Mitchell Robinson and RJ Barrett working together if the floor isn't spaced. And, um, that's goes back to the heart of it. Okay. So the fourth pick was, was ultimately made by the Hawks. It got traded twice. The late was the Lakers Senate for uh as part of the package for anthony davis no regrets there and then the um the pelicans traded back to the hawks picked up uh the number eight and was it number eight and ten yeah number eight and ten picks um so let me ask you this first uh pelton if you're the pelicans do you and you know what you know now do you trade back for the two picks or do you make a pick here knowing what you know about the draft. 100% I would trade back. And if I were Atlanta, I would never really consider moving up because, like Mike said, the expectation was this is a three-player draft, so why are you still gung-ho to get the fourth player in this? And, you know, DeAndre Hunter was someone that there were a variety of opinions about. The Hawks were certainly not the only team that liked him and thought that he was, you know, the, the best prospect outside of that fairly set top three. But... I think that, you know, I had some concerns based on his statistical projections and all of those have kind of borne out in Atlanta this year. He's a little bit older than these other guys. Uh, even, you know, he was a redshirt sophomore, so he spent three years in college. So he doesn't necessarily have the years of development to catch up. He hasn't made the kind of impact at the defensive end that I think the Hawks were looking for. That's right what they now, traded for, right? I mean, because they knew they had Trey Young and John Collins, two yep. guys who or sus, are suspect defensively, the idea was let's use assets to to be able to get um, you know the best defender in the draft, which is what they did. By the way, the, it wasn't the 8th and 10th pick. It was the 8th and 17th pick. Yep. Um, Nikhil Alexander-Walker was the other. The, the, the Hawks had the 10th pick. Maybe that's, maybe that's what the Pelicans wish they would have gotten, right. just sure. to correct that. But uh, yeah, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, so that makes this a challenging pick. I mean, I would say that the top of my board right now is Brandon Clark and Kobe White. And, you know, Clark maybe is a fit if you assume that the Hawks aren't going to eventually trade for Capella, but he kind of duplicates John Collins' skill set a little bit. Kobe White probably wouldn't make sense playing in the same backcourt as Trey Young. You'd be really undersized in that backcourt. So I think here I'm going to go with Tyler Hero, who uh, has had a solid rookie season for Miami. He's in a different situation from a lot of these players in the lottery in that you know he's playing for a contending team and and being asked to go out there and contribute right away. And he's been able to do it. And I you know I think that uh, I got some concerns about his shot selection right now, but as he he develops that and improves as a shooter, I think he could be a very good player in this league and you know a complement to a you know a very difficult perimeter trio to stop with him, Trey Young, and Kevin Herter. Big jump up there, Mike Schmitz. Uh, Hero was taken 13th by the Heat, so vote of confidence for the Heat's pick there. Uh, how do you feel about about uh, everything Pelton just said? 
I love it. I think it makes a lot of sense. I was a, a huge Tyler Hero fan. Uh, I thought he was going to be one of those kind of surprise one and done guys, you know, prior to even going to Kentucky. And you know, obviously with Trey, you want uh, shooting around him. And then, you know, some guys who can who can handle and pass also. I, I think he fits that mold. You know, there are probably some other options, maybe like a, like a Cameradish or, you know, maybe a Brandon Clark. Um, but yeah, I think Hero makes a lot of sense there. Okay, so the fifth pick, uh, the Cavs picked Darius Garland. One of the challenges with Garland last year was he was coming off the knee surgery uh, at Vanderbilt. They only played a couple of games. And Mike, am I correct? Was They were kind of tight with his medicals. It wasn't easy. They weren't just handy as medicals to every team. And uh, that was a challenge. It was a bit of a mystery over, his, uh, over the state of his knee. Am, am I wrong in saying that? Yeah, and a lot of teams came and and saw him shoot. I think that's kind of how it his pre-draft process really was. You know, Rich Paul setting up, um, you know, kind of private workouts just to see him shoot because at that time he wasn't doing a whole lot. You know, I think he was just out in L.A. and um, but I mean he can really really shoot the ball. You know, so that 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 helped him. Um, I, I think in some ways. But you know, I'm I'm still going to draft Darius Garland, and I and I know that this is where KP and I differ a little bit. Um, and you know, the small backcourt is, is certainly a question, but I had him ranked as the fourth best prospect in the draft going into the draft. And I, and I'm kind of treating last year like his freshman season. I mean, he played, you know, five games at Vanderbilt obviously was, you know, a little bit out of shape coming into the season and, and dealing with the injury aspect. But I mean, I've seen this kid since he was 15 years old and I just still think he's a stud talent with, with his skill level. Um, I, you know, there are some questions about the, the physicality aspect and defensively and finishing. And, um, but I think he's a much better passer than, than people thought. Uh, and I think that's going to continue to improve. And I think he's going to be a high level shooter eventually. So uh, I, I'm just looking at a, a top five pick, uh, trying to get the best talent. And I, I still think even what we know that he's the best talent on the board. Pelton, uh, uh, Colin Sexton and Darius Garland together, um, mixed bag. And in fact, when one of them hasn't started, the other seems to have been good, although it's a small sample size, and we also had a traumatic season because the coach left after the All Star break. Um, you like this pairing? You like Garland? You think the Cavs should keep it together and see how it works, or investigate options? I I do not like it. Uh, I, I think one of the differences that we've seen when Mike and I do this exercise over the years is that he probably tends to put more weight on his pre-draft uh, rankings than I do, where I'm probably quicker to update them based on what we've seen in the NBA. And, you know, the interesting thing, I actually had Garland higher than Mike did coming <laughs> yeah, into the draft. Yeah, I put yeah. him third on my board ahead of R.J. Barrett. I watched a bunch of film on him like the day before when I was finalizing it and was like, this guy looks like a pick and roll point guard made for the NBA. And then he has not been that at all in the NBA. He has the lowest wins above replacement player. And in his case, wins below replacement player of anyone in the league in my metric so far. Uh, and the thing that concerns me is, you know, it'd be one thing like Sexton last year, the things he was struggling at were the things that young players tend to improve. And we have seen a lot of improvement from him in year two, where he was also in that same position with the league's worst wins above replacement player. But now he's gotten to about replacement level in year two with plenty of room to improve. The thing that concerns me with Garland, and I'm curious Mike's thought on this is, to, to me, a lot of his issues seem more to do with his size and just not being able to, like, uh, his finishing numbers at the rim are terrible this season. 
Yeah, that, uh, he's going to have to be a, a skill-based guy, you know. And, I, you know, I thought going into his freshman season at Vanderbilt that he was potentially going to have, like, a Trey Young type of collegiate season, honestly. Like, I, as a guy who can shoot 30-footers, can play pick and roll, um, you know, he didn't have uh, great support around him at Vanderbilt. But uh, I still have those type of hopes for him. Not, okay, not to Trey's level, but – uh, like a guy who can be that skilled, that cerebral, um, you know, he's got floaters from all over the floor and any, as you know, anytime you can make, you know, 30 footers off the dribble, there's some value in that. And that opens the rest of the floor up. So, um, the physical aspect, sure. He, he is small. Um, but I do think he's skilled enough to overcome that in, in some ways. Now, if you're Cleveland, you know, you got to put big wings around those guys and guys who are defensive oriented and, and a rim protector and all those things. Um, but, you know, I, I do still really believe in his skill level. And, and I think as he gets more comfortable and, and as he's in shape and, and kind of uh, those days are behind him, I think we'll see him improve in some of those areas. So uh, the number six pick was made by the Timberwolves. They moved up from, what was it, number 11 to six to take Jarrett Culver out of Texas Tech. Um, they paid for that uh, those spots moving up with Dario Saric. Um, so the first question to you again, Pelton, is if you're the Suns or the Wolves, do you make that trade? And then who would you take at that, uh, at that spot? Yeah, that's an, it's a more difficult question, I think, than moving up from eight to four in this case, because I do think there is more of a drop off in terms of tier, you know, probably somewhere around nine in this draft looking with hindsight. So it was a reasonable call for, I think, Minnesota to move up. But, uh, uh, so far, Jared Culver hasn't probably been worth that investment from their standpoint. Uh, you know, another player who, as you mentioned, has struggled particularly with shooting has looked okay defensively, but has not been the kind of defender you need to be to make up for is efficient, is inefficient as he has been offensively thus far. And, you know, Minnesota's big need all season has been shooting. They helped that out significantly at the trade deadline when they added Malik Beasley, uh, D'Angelo Russell, Juan and Gomez, but two of those three guys are restricted free agents. So I still think that shooting is a big need for them. And I am taking Kobe White for the Timberwolves. Another another player, another rookie, by the way, has had a dramatic season. <laughs> uh, half of his team, or two-thirds of his team, was was traded uh, midway through it. Um, Schmitz? Yeah, Kobe White, uh, he was much better than I thought he'd be. I mean, he came out of the gates, really struggled, obviously, and I think the speed of the game, you know, he plays so sped up. Um, but I mean, once they kind of gave him more freedom and allowed him to just kind of focus on being, you know, a microwave score type, I think that's when you really saw him emerge. Uh, and you know, if that's what you're looking for, one of those guys who can just score it at all three levels and, and get hot quickly, uh, that's exactly what he is. And then I think if you play him next to a more cerebral guy, uh, who can run the show and get others involved, then, then that's a good fit, especially a guy with some size at the point guard spot. That's true. I think it's hard to play him alongside a guy that he can get exposed defensively with. I love his jitterbug get to his spots game. Um, I am high on him. Um, he did not shoot the ball well at all, but he did. He, uh, when the season shut down, he was in a, in a stretch where he's played three or four really good weeks. So uh, he moves up one spot because the Bulls picked him seventh. 
Um, so Schmitz, it feels like, you know, you can't pick him here, but it feels like you liked that pick with Kobe white, but what would you do in the, in this, in our redraft? Uh, Deandre Hunter is still on the board. He's the one guy who's been sliding in the redraft here. And now Jared Culver. I'm going to take Cam Reddish. Uh, he's was kind of a polarizing figure in, in throughout the draft process. And, uh, you know, someone that was highly rated out of high school and did not have a great year at Duke and then really struggled, uh, you know, out of the gates in the NBA. But I think we started to see some of his flashes as the season went along. And it's just hard to find a guy who's six, eight, six, nine with a seven foot wingspan who can shoot and, and defend. Uh, he certainly looks the part. And I think can he better. shoot. I think he can shoot. Because yeah, he didn't I mean, shoot in college and he did, hasn't shot this year. What did he shoot this year? I mean, down. I think in the last, like, 10 games, he was, like, 45, 50% from three, I want to say. He shot um, – He shot. Thir- he's shooting. The season's not over yet, Mr. Schmitz. He true. shot 30, 38% overall, 33% on threes. Okay, so the overall, yeah, not ideal. Um, but he – for how he started, okay, let's see, over his last 10 games, shot 41% from three. So we started that's to see good. kind of who he's going to be, and that's a guy who can defend a few spots, can make open threes, and, um, you know, so he's he's impressed me as, as the year went along. And like I said, it's hard to find that prototype. So here's where your expertise really comes into play because you saw Reddish play for years, mm-hmm. um, and he was always at the top ranked of his class. I think I remember um, – when the rookie survey came out um, last fall, the rookies thought he might have the best. He got a bunch of votes for that he might have the best career. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons was because all of those guys in that class had been hearing about Cam Reddish their whole teenage lives. Because Cam Reddish, Cam Reddish, Cam Reddish. I never got to see him play AAU basketball or anything like that. I only saw Duke, and I've only seen with the Hawks, and I've been underwhelmed for the most part. So, um, you know that's why you're here to provide this insight. Um, but it's interesting that you are picking him higher because I would have thought he'd have been a guy who might have slid a little bit. But uh, Pelton, him going at seven, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I had him a little bit higher. I had him ninth on my board, kind of agnostic of team need. Uh, to reinforce Mike's point, you go through his true shooting percentage month by month. Now the October and March are five and four games respectively, so they don't really mean anything, but 279, 428, 467, 543, 572, 672. So if you project this out by, you know, whenever we resume the season, he's going to have like an 800 true shooting percentage and be the most efficient player in NBA history. But uh, that could be that. But he's been league average for, you know, a solid uh, 27 game span here. And I feel good about that. He came out fairly well in my projections because of that AAU background that Mike mentioned. And uh, yeah, so I, I thought I think he's a decent pick and the decent value in this range. Okay, number eight pick um, was Jackson Hayes to the Pelicans. Originally the Hawks, that was what they got for trading back. Uh, Pelton, your pick. I'm going to take Brandon Clark here. He was, like I said, I kind of independent of team need. I had him third overall. He's been as productive as anyone in this year's rookie class. I think he has a very strong case to be the third player on the rookie of the year ballot, depending on you know what more we see this season. Uh, that bench for the Grizzlies has been a big reason why they are in in a playoff spot right now. Uh, the combination of Clark and DeAnthony Melton, and you know they've had you know a few guys come in and out as part of that bench unit, but that's been a, a consistently strong group for them, along with Tyus Jones as part of that. And if you look at him with the Pelicans. 
know, Jackson Hayes has been solid, hasn't really played since Zion came back because they're using Zion basically as their backup center along with Nicolo Melli. I think Cork, he can step away from the basket more, a better fit play next to Zion than Jackson Hayes is. Everything on the board about Brandon Clark impresses me. Number one, he can play small ball center. He can guard. Um, he can step out and guard just by anybody. He's one of the best uh, defenders in this class. Um, shot the ball very well, over 62% overall. Shot over uh, 40% from threes, a low volume, but certainly showing good uh, promise. Only took one three a game, but you're not afraid of him shooting out there. And uh, by the way, a guy who I think is going to be a factor with the Canadian national team, his game suited very well to the international type of play. Um, uh, the uh, the Grizzlies moved up to get him with the twenty what was the twenty first pick. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, obviously, has been terrific. Schmitz, um, you know, I I don't know where you where you had Brandon Clark coming out, but he's really really impressed me. Yeah, he's a stud. Uh, I remember watching him with San Jose State at the Mountain West tournament shooting from like the side of his head you know and then and then I went to see him practice at Gonzaga in the preseason after you know a sit-out year and he completely reconstructed his shot was blocking everything at the rim and you know now we're seeing kind of the player he is today so totally a self-made self-made guy and I think he fits perfectly you know in today's game he's someone I I probably if I didn't take Reddish with the Bulls I I would have taken him just as kind of the best available so I'm a big fan of his game. Okay, number nine pick went to was the Wizards. They picked Rui Hachimura, uh, another Gonzaga player. Um, boy, he is super duper athletic. Um, uh, Schmitz, your choice here. I'm going to draft uh, Seku Dumboya, the the Ooh. youngest player Ooh. in the draft. He's somebody that uh, you know I I think Rui showed some nice flashes, but uh, I really like Seku's upside. You know he's he's six nine. Uh, he moves really well. He's shown flashes of skill offensively. He kind of fell off, you know, as the year went along. Um, he, consistency has always been kind of a question mark for him, but uh, he's been one of the biggest talents in Europe for some time. I mean, he was playing pro basketball when he was fifteen years old. Originally born in Guinea, and then moved to France. Uh, I think when he was one. Um, but yeah, I just really like his his versatility. I like his profile. Uh, and, you know, if I'm the Wizards, I'm looking for long-term talent, and I think that's what he is. Pelton? So, yeah, Dumboya, he came into the starting lineup when Blake Griffin had that knee surgery to end his season. And over his first eight games, averaged 14 points, 5.3 rebounds, shot 41% from three, 54% from the field. And I think everybody was like, wow, this is the next next big thing and mm-hmm. that that turned out to be unsustainable but really this was supposed to be a season that was largely spent for Dumboya in the G League that was what mm-hmm. the Pistons were planning when they you know assumed they would be in playoff contention and, and Blake Griffin would be healthy so I, I wouldn't read too much into the fact that he struggled lately as Mike mentioned youngest guy in the draft I, I probably would have him a little lower on my board but uh, you know I, he, especially if you're a developmental team this is a reasonable place to start thinking about him so early to mid-January I fell in love with Sekou Dumboya. Um, tried to get, tried to convince my editor, a guy named Andrew Hahn, to let me go, <laughs> to go to Detroit to uh, do a piece on him. He was lukewarm, and that's why he's the editor because uh, as he delayed me, uh, Sekou fell so far. He also, I think, missed a shoot around or something while he was starting and playing well. Missed a shoot around and got pulled from the starting lineup, and that was the beginning of the slide for him. However. 
I really like his upside. He has the same type of background. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's dangerous to compare, but, you know, you know, African descent raised in Europe, um, discovered by a professional team early, you know, it's not completely unlike, uh, Giannis and, uh, the same type of incredible raw talent and athleticism of great size. Um, so I'm still excited about him, but he is not, uh, he did have that flash in the pan. So we'll see if that lasts. Um, all right. So 10th, the Hawks drafted Cam Reddish here. Um, Pelton, we still have uh, DeAndre Hunter and Jared Culver sitting there, but uh, make your selection with the Hawks at number 10. Yeah, and I'm not taking either of them. Instead, uh, <laughs> I'm going for the homer pick here of Matisse Thibel, who I think has been kind of the player that the Hawks thought they were getting in DeAndre Hunter in terms of a league average three-point shooter, which is ahead of where the expectations were for Thibel because, you know, he was a very inconsistent three-point shooter during his career at Washington, which, you know, I attended probably more than half of the home games he played at UW and followed just about all of them. And uh, defensively, he's been a terror for Philadelphia. Uh, It's probably helped that they've turned him loose a little bit. You know, he was facing an adjustment because he had played the last two years in his own system under Mike Hopkins that had really played to his ability to see plays developing, to play, jump the passing lanes. Uh, and all of that and, you know, uh, block shots from the perimeter, all those things. And there were some mistakes early on that looked pretty ugly defensively, but he's cleaned a lot of those up and is playing key minutes on a playoff team right now. And I think you would love to be able to put him next to Trey Young and, and I guess, uh, Tyler Hero in this, in this version of the Hawks. Schmitz. Love it. Uh, that's why I had here 10 on, on my board if I were to, to be drafting the evens because, you know, kind of like Pelton alluded to with Trey, you need somebody who, doesn't need the ball to have an impact, and that's exactly him. You know, he's happy being a, a spot-up shooter, a cutter, uh, filling the lanes in transition. And yeah, he's one of the best like shot blockers from from a wing that that I've ever seen. He's he's really good with those kind of rear view contests. You know, he was a menace in the zone uh, in, in college, and you know, by all accounts, a, a great kid and, and very low maintenance. So uh, I think he makes a ton of sense for them. Yeah, so a, a big jump there. Um... Those are two guys taken in the 20s. Um, Brandon Clark taken 21st. Um, the Thunder actually were in that spot, traded him. Grizzlies traded up to get him. And then uh, the uh, Thibel was taken 20th, the Celtics and 76ers with another one of their famous trades. Okay, so 11th was the initially was the uh, Wolves. They flopped it with the Suns and they took Cam Johnson. Uh, which was a surprise on draft night. We all remember Kobe White uh, sitting on the, uh, on the dais, uh, finding out that his teammate from North Carolina, uh, Cameron Johnson, was taken uh, in the lottery. He was—I don't know if that was to be taken as a good sign or a bad sign. But uh, Schmitz, he—you know—I remember you talking about him. He's—he he's, was known as a really good three-point shooter, and he's shooting forty percent as a rookie on decent volume. So, um, but anyway, you have the—you uh, have the selection there at number eleven. Yeah, Cam Johnson can definitely shoot, uh, and there are some other some other options there I would think about. But I'm going to go deeper in another guy who was drafted much later and go with Kevin Porter Jr. Uh, this is a, a name who a player who was I think a lot of teams had in their top ten talent wise. You know that it was never a question about talent; it was just about consistency and approach. And had a really up and down season at USC. You know, I saw a lot of it firsthand living here. And LA, but uh, just an incredible talent, you know, 6'6", can handle, go get you a bucket 
uh, at will. And I think that's kind of a prototype that the Suns could use, um, you know, a, another athlete who can handle and, and go get a shot. So that's my choice, Kevin Porter Jr. Pelton, uh, Schmitz is not going to have to buy beers the next time he goes to Cleveland because he <laughs> likes Darius Garland at five and says that they did so well with the 30th pick that he should have been a lottery pick. So your thoughts there? Well, I, I have Kevin Porter higher in my rankings than Darius Garland. So, uh, oh wow, that's that's an interesting combination. That was a, that picks. was a backhanded compliment. <laughs> no, I mean I had Porter twelfth. I was about to take him for Charlotte before <laughs> Mike took him. He, oh, okay, all right. Guy. So, uh, the other interesting thing I think in this spot is that, you know, I have Cam Johnson like tenth not factoring in need at all. The Suns may have the last laugh here. I, I still feel like they probably could have gotten, you know, traded down a few spots and still gotten him. But, you know, this that that pick is looking much more reasonable, as, as you mentioned, with his shooting ability in a class that is largely devoid of it. All right, 12th pick, the Hornets uh, picked P.J. Washington. I think he's had a decent rookie year. Um, Pelton, your selection. Yeah, he's been solid. Uh, we're scrambling in the draft room right now after Kevin Porter Jr. got paid. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't see that You're coming. You're on the clock, five minutes. <laughs> Schmitz with the, uh, the curveball, curve baby. Yep. I think I'm going to take Jackson Hayes here. You know, he's pretty good value for this spot when three spots higher in the draft. Don't love investing a lottery pick in a center, but that's not a position I think that the Hornets have solidified long term. And I feel you know pretty good about where they are. Uh, you know, obviously they wouldn't have Washington in this, but with Bridges at one of the forward spots and then, you know, Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier in the backcourt. So, uh, you know, I think Cody Zeller is probably not going to block, uh, long-term Jackson Hayes ascendance. This is a position they've been playing Bismack Biombo a lot of minutes this season. So it's definitely a spot they could stand upgrade. Yeah. Schmitz, Jackson Hayes with tremendous athleticism. I mean, that's what explodes out when you watch him play. Yeah, he's a complete freak. You know, you hope he could be kind of like a new age Tyson Chandler if he's able to, you know, bring it on every possession just with that lob catching. He was he was an amazing uh, wide receiver actually coming up, and then he kind of outgrew that position. You know, his dad was a longtime uh, coach in, in the NFL and, and player, I think a tight ends coach. Um, so yeah, I think it, it makes sense. I, I would have thought about probably you know DeAndre Hunter or PJ Washington there as well. Um, but uh, hard, hard to argue the, the athletic upside with Hayes. Six eleven wide receiver. That would have been pretty special. <laughs> Back shoulder fades. You know a lot of those. <laughs> oh man, hard to defend. All right. Um, with the thirteenth pick, the Heat took Tyler Hero. Hero drafted in the top five in this redraft. Congrats to the Heat on that. Um, Schmitz, you would take whom here? I'm taking DeAndre Hunter. Uh, you know, had, had a little bit of an up and down year, I think, but it's hard to find guys who are, you know, six, seven, six, eight strong who can guard and, and, you know, make spot up three. So I think there's some value with the heat pieces that they have now, him being able to slide in, uh, as a guy who's, you know, ready to have an impact and, and he's going to be best in a team that's contending, a team, uh, that's not one of these young rebuilding teams. You know, I think his value is more in those competitive, uh, playoff style games. And, and so he fits there in Miami with kind of their culture. Okay, so he drops from four to thirteen. Still in the lottery. I, I I agree with what Mike's saying. I think that would be a much better situation for him. Miami's player development. You've seen what they've done with, you know, Duncan Robinson broadening out his game and taking advantage of his skill set. Kendrick Nunn this season. Uh, you put him there. I think you'd expect improvement from him as a shooter that would really help take him to that next level in terms of value. 
So the 14th pick and the last pick that we're going to make uh, was the Celtics pick, the first of their selections that night. Uh, they picked Romeo Langford, and you know the Celtics are not a very deep team, but Langford has still not played that much. Um, doesn't have very good stats at all, quite frankly. Um, when the Celtics were looking at possible trade uh, options, which they ended up not standing pat, um, I think he was a guy that some people thought could be available, although I never specifically heard that. But um, Pelton, it's your selection. Yeah, I still had him 14th on my board. I mean, a, a lot of why he struggled so much this season comes down to his shooting 22% on threes, and I don't think that's consistent with his skill level. I think that's probably more a product of you know up and down minutes. Uh, but but you're right. I mean, the Celtics could use additional depth on the perimeter, and that's why I think I have them going all the way out of this year's draft and taking Terrence Davis, who it grows oh, more inexplicable oh, by the wow. day. Good how call. He, how he went unselected, and the Toronto Raptors were the beneficiary of that. He's played uh, an important role for this team that you know is is right now contending with the Celtics for a top three spot in the Eastern Conference, and uh, and I'm sure the Celtics would love to flip him from Toronto to Boston. I think I will I will say that he would be getting major minutes with Boston right now. Yes, he would. <laughs> I feel like he would. Uh, I think Schmitz. one thing with with Davis to note is he's probably not going to keep shooting this well from three. He wasn't this kind of three point shooter in college, so he's due for probably a little bit of regression. But he's been really good. He also deserves consideration for a spot on the rookie of the year ballot. For sure, uh, Schmitz. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think it makes sense. You know, he, I, I like Terrence a lot uh, as a as a sophomore, as a, as a junior, and then I was kind of baffled as well that you know he went undrafted and he really had a strong process too at the the combine in, in Chicago and um, just getting up and down and scoring, making shots, you know, off the dribble, off the catch. Uh, one guy I would keep in mind at this spot who we didn't see play this year is Chuma Okiki, uh, the kid out of Auburn. You know, he missed this season basically kind of as a redshirt year. Uh, due to injury, but uh, I think he would make some sense also just given he's 6'8", six, 6'9", six, he can shoot, he can pass, and he can defend multiple positions. Um, so as we go into next year, and, and he you know, obviously was drafted by the Orlando Magic, uh, but that's a name I think you know, could potentially emerge uh, given his talent level. Yeah. Well, Kiki, he, he tore his ACL in the Sweet 16 game? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, terrible. Um well, it's interesting you bring that up because before we go here, I want to talk about um, this year's draft coming up, which everybody's working on pretty hard. And one of the knocks on this year on this draft is that it doesn't have. Well, I'm not going to speak for it, but there's not a lot of excitement. Say it's say it's not 2019. I wonder if uh, you know the Magic basically bringing Okiki as sort of the, like a first round pick. I wonder if that doesn't look really good. He is a rookie a year from now, but um, Schmitz, what's your evaluation in, in, in broad strokes? You, you've been doing a lot of work uh, putting out, you know, now that all these college guys have free time on their hands, you've been doing some sessions with them as well. But um, what's your, what's your viewpoint on the class as a whole? Yeah, I think there's some depth. Um, there's just not a whole lot of certainty at the top. You know, we have Anthony Edwards, number one, and, and that's kind of almost, you know, by, by default, just because there's a lot of questions still about those other guys. You know, I think LaMelo Ball is, is the most talented guy and, and the guy with the most star potential, but even him, you know, you don't exactly know, uh, what you're getting on a day to day basis and di- didn't have a, a huge sample size, you know, in, in Australia, played 12 games, but that's the guy I'm 
really excited about in terms of star potential just because he's six seven with incredible instincts um and he's just a natural with the ball in his hands but uh, a lot of these other guys i mean edwards was very very up and down you know i saw him in in maui have six points against dayton and then the next day have 37 against michigan state um and then wiseman as well you know the three collegiate games uh so uh, you're going to have some seniors in this class that are going to be better than people think i i kind of like that five to ten range in this draft but you know there's a lot of uncertainty at the top Peldon, what's your highest rated uh washington husky (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know the thing is i'm not actually very high statistically on either of the huskies in this year's draft uh well presumably isaiah stewart and then Jaden mcdaniels hasn't declared yet but uh presumably will join him in the draft I, I think what stands out to me when I look at the college players in this year's draft, because I'm still working through the international projections, which are quite important this year, you know, historically something I like to look at and, and bring up is the success rate for guys who are in the top 10 in both, you know, the eventual draft order and then my, the stats only version of my projections is compared to the version that also takes into account where they are on the uh, top 100 that Mike and Jonathan Gavoni put together for us. And so usually when guys are in the top 10 of both, both of those they're not quite a sure thing but pretty close and there's a lot of star potential in that group there is only one player this year who is in the top 10 in both of those and that is Tyrese Halliburton who's mm. you know considered kind of a lower ceiling guy but has always been great uh statistically Edwards is you know 16th he's not way outside of it he's, he's certainly a reasonable number one pick but uh you know I I I had the misfortune of uh I, I when I was watching the Maui from home I watched that that entire first game that you referenced where he had five points I watched the first half of the next game where he <laughs> didn't do anything then yeah. I had a dentist appointment missed the entire like third 30-point explosion in the second half of that one. If I might not mistaken, Schmitz, that you just did a, uh, a session with Halliburton? Did I? Yes, did I yeah. That? We did a full – we talked for over an hour, uh, and he is incredible. I mean, every player on the court – Every stat, he's like, oh, yeah, Seton Hall's eighth man. Yeah, he shoots 19% from three from the left corner. Uh, so I had to close out this way. I'm like, man, like he's, he's really sharp. So I do, to, to Kevin's point, I, there are some guys that are viewed as like these low ceiling, safe guys that I think might actually end up being some of the better players in this draft, like a, like a Halliburton, um, like an Onyeka Kongwu or, or Denny Avdia, who's a six nine four who's been playing, playing in Israel. Uh, Isaac Okoro is another name I think people should know. He played at Auburn, 6'6 wing, guards everybody, super athlete, uh, just needs to get better as a shooter. But, you know, you'll hear some – sometimes you'll hear Andre Iguodala. Sometimes you'll hear a young Jimmy Butler. Uh, but uh, he's one of my favorite prospects in this draft. So you have these guys at the top that are these – you know, highly rated guys at a high school who people are trying to figure out. And then your Halliburton's, um, your Avdias, your Kong Wu's, who I think pe- people feel really comfortable about just given how productive they've been. Okay, so um, we have a hotline where people have been leaving us messages. Mm. Um, Andrew Han, what is the number? 402? <laughs> we have an Omaha number just for fun. Uh, what's the number? Uh, it is 402 Hey guys, quick question. This is Tom from New York. Uh, if the NBA decides that the regular season is over, uh, they could go go forward with a Zoom uh, NBA lottery and perhaps even a Zoom uh, NBA draft uh, while we wait for the season to convene the playoffs. So why don't they do that? Thanks. 
So I think what Tom is asking here is um, why not just take the draft? Why not just have the lottery and take the draft as normal if the season is canceled? Um, as you uh, as was reported by Woj and um, Jonathan Gavoni this week, the teams have asked for the draft to be pushed back. Um, the lottery is kind of, I, I am a big believer that the all lottery um, uh, controversy went to die last year when there was a final four that included the Knicks and the Lakers for two franchise players <laughs> in, in Moran Williamson and the two small markets got them. In my mind, that kills all controversies. Not that I ever believed in them. Um, but I, I don't know if you could get away. I think there would be so, so many, you know, so much wrongdoing that 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 people would accuse if if they couldn't have a an, ex, an executive in the room. But Pelton, uh, I don't know. I don't know what they would do if we did a social distance lottery. I don't know how that would work out. Yeah, that'd be an interesting one. I mean, I, I think you know the the allusion is to the report that uh, the teams would like the draft pushed back to August first uh, from its current date of June twenty fifth, and you know I think that we'll probably wait to make hear a decision on that until we figure out what's going to happen with the rest of the season. Because you know if there's not going to be a rest of the season, even though there might still be a benefit from te- to teams of pushing the date back, because you know potentially you could do some in person evaluations, although you know. If you're not in position to restart the league by that point, then you're probably not in position to do in-person evaluations. But from the NBA standpoint, it'd be great to have that content out there, you know, uh, right now during this period where everyone's at home of having the draft, which is what we are going to see this Friday on ESPN with uh, the WNBA draft followed the following week by the NFL draft. So Schmitz, so then the guidelines that the league sent out to the teams, I believe it was last week, they said, look, you can't. You can't go see anybody in person, and you can't. Um, you obviously can't do any medical exam at this point. But the one thing that I thought was interesting, and I'll just—I just want you to know what you think about it. They said, "Look, um, you can only talk to a player, you know, via phone or I guess video conferencing, for a total of four hours." Mm-hmm. I think that's interesting because I think that number one, if a player can specifically control who has access to him at all like if you go to a pre-draft camp or you you go to any sort of uh, group evaluation um you can't control who's watching you and boy you can really control who you talk to if you want to try to guide yourself to teams but also teams have nothing but time right now you know mm-hmm. there's total moratorium on like there's no reason why they couldn't speak to a athlete for or a prospect for an unlimited amount of time so it's interesting that they say four hours and four hours only um, but I guess I got to say, Schmitz, routinely when I call and check in with the guys I uh, know in the league, executives especially, I'll say, "How? What have you been doing?" I've been watching draft tape. I've been watching draft, you know, video on the draft. This will probably be the most studied draft via video, maybe of all time. For sure, I, and I do think that is maybe one of, if we're just looking for a silver lining, obviously this is not an ideal situation, but uh, if teams are really locking in and, and studying these guys, because usually in April, everyone's running around to all these high school events for next year. You know, they'll be at the McDonald's All-American. They'll be at the, the Nike Hoop Summit, uh, the Jordan Brand Classic. You know, like April's one of the busiest months 
And it's not always even for this draft, uh, you know, and then you're running around to all these agent pro days. Uh, so I think studying the film is actually going to help. And then maybe a Fred Van Vliet doesn't go undrafted, or maybe a Brandon Clark doesn't go, you know, in the twenties, but the, the sticking point here is clearly the medicals. And, and you know, because the teams, uh, you know, if you're drafting a guy high, I mean, you really need to get his medical information. And then the aspect of being able to spend time with the guy, especially at the top, you know, like you're really going to go out on a limb and take LaMelo ball uh, number one if you've Zoomed with them for four hours. You know, I, I think these teams really, <laughs> right. they really put a premium on being able to have a guy in their building, sit down with them and, and, and get to know them over an extended period of time. So I just think if I do imagine that if this continues to get pushed back, there will hopefully be some type of pre-draft process. Because if not, I mean, it's going to be the wild, wild west. Well, the medicals are such an important battleground when you talk to agents and teams because the way it works right now is, you know, if you come to the pre-draft camp, you know, there is an NBA physical that you go through there, but you don't have to go through it, right? Mm -hmm. You could just say, I'm not going to do it. Um, Sometimes a player will get a physical. Um, Sometimes he'll actually go to a team and have the team do the physical. Um, And then they could actually give that physical to other teams if they want, or they could not. And, you know, what the what the league would like to happen is for everybody to get a standardized set of um, medicals and to have them distributed to all 30 teams. Because right now, you know, you know, for years, there's uh, prospects of like, well, I refuse to work out for you. I don't want to go play for you. I refuse to work out for you. Well, nowadays, part of that process agents can play is say, listen, uh, you know, you want to know about how my knee is? Um, that surgery that I had when I was a senior in high school or when I was a freshman in college, guess what? You're not going to see it. I don't want to play for you. And that's a bit of a battleground right now. And I, I wonder how this will play out in this. You know, in, in baseball, um, there were some changes to the draft, uh, specifically a limiting of the rounds that um, the baseball uh, teams and owners wanted for a while and couldn't get through. And in their gap deal that they came up with, they limited it to five rounds and chopped down the, uh, the bonus pool. And it's just right now temporary but they accomplished something they've been wanting for a long time well i know that the nba teams have wanted universal medicals for a really long time (laughs) and maybe this is a situation where they can negotiate for it i don't know how it would go through because the thing about it is as we know in almost every circumstance (laughs) the players don't bargain for the guys who are coming into the league as hard as they bargain for themselves so um, that would be interesting. Uh, but you can understand. I mean, you're somebody who sits down with these guys all the time, Schmitz. Um, you can understand why these teams don't want to just do what you've been doing, which is over video chat. Yeah, it's super, super important. And I just I, I'm kind of calling this the, the year of, of the promise. If you if teams really want to get cre- if it stays this way. You know, I think you could potentially see agents really trying to steer guys to certain teams more than ever, you know, just because uh, usually there's the the information out there that, oh, this guy went and worked out for this guy or he went and worked out here. Or he worked out for these teams. Um, but now there's just not as much information out there. So if you really wanted to send your guy, you know, just send the medicals to X team and make sure, you know, set up that promise at 35, then, you know, I I just think it's easier to do it in this type of environment than, than normal. Well, I don't think anybody knows how this process is going to go. Um, And I think Adam Silver was smart when he, he, in his interview last week with, um, 
Ernie Johnson on Twitter. He said, listen, we're not going to make any decisions or any thought processes until we get into May. And so everyone's positioning and making recommendations and coming up with with projections and strategies and stuff. But um, we just don't know how it's going to go. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed the redraft. Um, who's the big winner in the redraft? Is it the Grizzlies with Brandon Clark getting that high? I don't know. Um, had to feel pretty good about that pick. Um, all right, Mr. Pelton, Mr. Smith, Mr. Han, and back in Bristol, uh, Troy Farkas. Thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective. We will talk to you next week. <laughs>